Well, good morning. Good to see you here. Welcome to everybody that's here. Those of you here in the house, and some of you guys are online, and some folks are still out in the parking lot listening on the FM transmitters. So thank you guys for being here this morning. Um, if you're visiting with us, you can go out these back doors here as you leave. There's a welcome table, and you can grab some information about our church. There's a little packet there that has information about how you can get in contact with us as staff so we can answer any questions that you have or ways that we can get you plugged in to ministry. But I want to read something here this morning just real quick. We talked about it a little bit this week. I was watching Matt Yelverton's Sunday School class. We were talking about suffering a little bit, and it's a topic that we don't talk about much. And then Jamie sent me his message last night. And one of his points is going to be talking about suffering. And so I don't want to steal his thunder or anything. Um, but the idea of suffering, well, we see it a lot going on right now in particular in these days. And I think it's just the beginning of suffering, especially for the believers. And uh, something that we have to keep in mind, in, in light of suffering, uh, it, it is very uh, small amount of time in comparison uh, to the glory when we get there, but suffering has it has meaning, it has purpose, it's going to produce something in our lives, either seen or unseen. And Romans eight twenty eight says this, and we know that for all things, all things work together for good for those who love God and according to His purpose. And so, whether or not we see what comes from suffering on this side, on the next side, we will see everything that God has produced in us and through us, through our suffering. And so keep that in your mind as we go. Be encouraged. Know that God is working all things for good, but only for those who are called according to his purpose. So if you will, stand up this morning. Just kind of keep that in your mind because that's where we're going to be going during the sermon this morning. Uh, we're going to sing a couple worship songs, and we invite you guys to sing along with us.
Good morning. He is on his throne. Isn't that amazing? God's in control. This morning, as we go to the Lord in prayer, I want you to pray about a couple things. Um, I want you to remember, uh, we're wanting to start Sunday school back, if that's possible, on September the 13th. I just want to put that out before you, and that's some plans we hope that come about. The another thing, we want to remember Juana, Juanita Dunn's family. She passed away this week. We had her funeral services yesterday morning at 10 and with the family. And uh, when you're singing, he is God alone and he is on his throne, there's victory that we have. That we can celebrate this morning the victory that we have in Christ. And we celebrated that with the Dunn family yesterday morning. And church, we need a victory too, don't we? I think we're all kind of tired of the pandemic and what we've been facing and the difficulties at school and throughout our nation. So we need to pray. In the book of Nehemiah, chapter 1, verse 4, Nehemiah heard what had happened to his country. The walls of Jerusalem were still burnt and broken down. And he became broken over the spiritual being, well-being, and welfare of his nation. The Bible says he sat down. And he wept. And he mourned for many days. And he was broken. And he fasted and he prayed. I think that's the answer for COVID-19. We need to be broken over our nation and our spiritual condition, ourself and our church. It's so glad to be here with you this morning and be able to lead in prayer time. Let's pray for our nation, our nation and one another. Let's pray for our families. Let's pray that God would take us to a place that he's God alone for us. Father in heaven, we come before you in prayer. And Father, we seek first your kingdom, your righteousness. And God, you're God alone. You're on your throne. And we trust you in this time, in good times and in bad. And Father, we come before you. We love you because you have first loved us. But Lord, help us to know you more. Help us to be broken over the spiritual condition of our nation and of even ourselves. Father, we've sinned as a nation. Like Nehemiah said, we've sinned and our fathers have sinned. And Father, we need to be broken. And I pray you'd come and heal the brokenness in our land. I pray you'd push back the evil and the darkness that we're facing today and the unrest I pray you'd bring peace for you're a God of peace I pray you'd bring comfort for those who've lost loved ones this week be with the Dunn family bring healing to them today and the days to come but Father we're so grateful this morning that you're on your throne that you're high and lifted up and Father, no matter what we face, we have you. If the Lord is for us, who can be against us? And we're so grateful this morning to know you. To know that you live within us. And Father, I pray you bring renewal, revival to me. To your church. To your people. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated.
Amen. Thank you, Amanda. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to stand with me and turn to Romans chapter 8. We're going to look at one verse this morning. And with this one verse, we'll have four points. We're going to talk about the fact that we are heirs of God, heirs of Christ. As Justin mentioned, heirs of suffering. And then the final point is the fact that we're heirs of glory. And, and you've got to understand, when you see the word heirs in the Bible, that's a legal term in heaven. Just like last week, adoption is a legal term. So when you're born again, things happen in God's courtroom. So when you ask somebody, are you born again? And they say, well, I don't know. And I'm like, you don't know. Do you realize what happens when you're saved? The Holy Spirit enters you. God in his courtroom declares you not guilty. Romans 8 verse 1. It's a legal act. You are adopted. Last week we looked at You become a child of God. That is a legal act. When we talk about being an heir, you have an inheritance. This is a legal act in God's courtroom. So to note, last week we, thought, we, we looked at this. The Holy Spirit will testify to you that you're God's child. Isn't that a blessing? Okay. The Holy Spirit will lead you in your life to kill the deeds of the flesh in your life. And I talked about how we all struggle with different things, don't we? We all have different temptations. You have different convictions than I do. I have different convictions than you do. The Bible says to work out your own salvation. The Holy Spirit will lead you to do that. But the most beautiful part that we looked at last week is that we are adopted. We are adopted. And because of that, verse 17 is so important. Notice what the Bible says. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. Heirs of God, heirs of Christ, heirs of suffering, and heirs of glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for our salvation. Father, we thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Lord, only your children, regardless of race or where they live on this planet, only your children have the Holy Spirit. And only your children who have placed their faith and trust in you are heirs of God, heirs of Christ, heirs of suffering, and heirs of glory. Lord, there are no three groups of people. There are two, children of God and not those that are not children of God. So, Father, for anyone listening today, whether they're on campus or not, Holy Spirit, you testify to them whether or not they're children of God. Father, you tell them through the reading of the word, through the preached word. Father, you do that. And Father, we'll thank you and praise you for what you alone can do. In Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. May be seated. I want to read this quote by J.I. Packer about adoption. J.I. Packer says that adoption is the highest privilege that the gospel offers even higher than the blessing of justification because it brings us into a richer relationship with God as our loving Father. He goes on to say that all your prayer life is based off adoption. He says, Jesus taught us to pray this, Our Father who is in heaven. Adoption is also the basis of a life of faith because we trust our Father to provide our needs. Then he goes on to say this, talking about adoption. He picked you out of the gutter of sin, cleaned you up, clothed you with perfect righteousness of Christ, and lovingly brought you into his family as a child, where you enjoy the inexhaustible riches of his grace, both now and all for eternity. Meditate on that truth every day, and it will give you strength to resist sin and grace to endure his trials. Now think about this statement based off adoption. As God's adopted children, we are also his heirs, and fellow heirs with Christ, which includes suffering now and future glory. How do we become children of God? Listen to this. Galatians 3.26. For, for, you, for you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. You must place your faith 
and trust in Christ Jesus. Which means this, we're not all children of God. A Muslim who places their faith in a Jesus who didn't raise from the dead, they're not children of God. A Mormon who says Jesus was Lucifer's brother and is some kind of spiritual little G-O-D God, they're not children of God. The Jehovah's Witnesses who knock on your door, who don't place their faith in the resurrected Christ, they're not children of God. You must place your faith, according to the Bible, in Christ Jesus. To those who receive Him, God gives the right, the legal right, to become, which means you were not that before, children of God. So we're not all God's children. And if you're in a church that preaches that, then you must leave. If you're in a church where a person stands up and says Jesus was a great moral example, he was a good teacher, and that's about it. Why are you in that place? None of this applies to you. This is a legal act that happens based off your faith in the resurrected Christ. Only those people are children of God. It doesn't matter if you're black, white, brown, if you live here or in Africa. It does not matter. Only those people are children of God. Only those people. And because of that, because of that, listen... As God's children, we become his heirs. The first point is this, heirs of God. Notice what the Bible says on the screen. We're going to look at this verse little by little. And if children, okay, we become children of God. The Bible will talk about being born again. We become his child, which talks about our nature being changed. He also calls us sons or daughters, which talks about our legal rights. This is your legal rights. Notice, and if children, then heirs. Look at the word heirs. It comes from a Greek word, two Greek words. The first, the first part of that Greek word means something that's been allotted or some type of possession. The second part of that word means law. It means it's a legal act. And I love how one scholar put it. He put it this way. He says, he says this word heir means one who receives an allotted portion of an estate as a portion by law upon the death of the benefactor. But in this case, the benefactor doesn't die. We die, and at our death, by law, by God's law in God's courtroom, we receive the inheritance. By law, we, we have. Have you ever daydreamed what it would be like to be the heir of a wealthy family? I think my mom's going to leave me a stick of gum. That's probably all she can afford. But what if you were a child of a Rockefeller? What if you were a child of a Kennedy? Or I heard that the Amazon owner... Bezos or something like that? He's worth one point, no, he's worth $189 billion. Wouldn't it be neat to be in that inheritance? Just throw some crumbs my way. Listen, if, listen, do you know who your father is? Do you realize who your father is? Your father's God. Isn't that amazing? Notice, you become heirs of God himself, number one. You become heirs of him, the creator of the universe, I, I've shared this story a hundred times. I got saved on October 30th, 1990, a mile, exact mile from this church. When I got home, when I prayed, listen, I was a good student. I made good grades, didn't even have to study. It just came easy, okay? I, I rationally thought about everything. And that night when I prayed, I thought to myself, I am praying to God for the first time in my life. And it overwhelmed me. It overwhelmed me. And I couldn't see him. But one day, I'm going to be an heir of God himself. Of God himself. Do you understand the magnitude of that? You're an heir of God himself. Listen to what the psalmist said in Psalm 73. 
Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know what he's saying? I want you, God. I want you. When the Babylonians came and ransacked, ransacked Jerusalem, Jeremiah sat on a hill, wrote Lamentations. And this is what he says. Weeping, you know, he tried to get the people to repent, and they wouldn't do it. When, when God brought judgment, as Jeremiah prophesied, he sat on the hill, looked at his, this city, God's city, burnt to the ground, and he says this, The Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceases, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. In the midst of his despair, he said, God, I want you. You're heirs of God. Listen to what God says in Revelation 21.3. God shows up and he says this, I will be their God and they will be my people and I will live among them and I will wipe away their tears. God is our inheritance. When you get to heaven, he's the star. God and Jesus. It's not a street of gold or walls of jasper. You are an heir of God and not only are you an heir of God, but you're an heir of all that God has. One scholar put it this way, heir means every child of God is a recipient of a vast inheritance from the Father. Heirs of God means that God is the source and giver of the, his inheritance. Psalm 50.10 says that every animal of the forest and every cattle on a thousand hills belongs to the Father. Somebody else taking care of them, but they're his. Somebody else taking care of them, but they're his. Galatians talks about the fact that we're heirs in Galatians 4. It says, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. Galatians 3 says this, If you belong to Christ and you're Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. Paul says to Titus, So that being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. All believers and only believers are heirs of God. There's not a condition placed upon this statement. It is a fact. It is a legal right of yours that you're an heir of God himself and all that God has. But notice not, not only that, but all believers are heirs with Christ. Notice the rest of the verse, if you'll see here. And if children, then heirs, that legal act, that allotted portion, all that God has, you're heirs of God himself and all his stuff, and joint heirs with Christ. So you're heirs of God and you're heirs of Jesus. This means that Jesus is the principal heir. Notice it says joint, and we share in his inheritance. Why is that important? Because the Father has transferred everything under the feet of Jesus. Jesus said this in the Great Commission, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. In John 5, Jesus says, God has given all judgment to me. Paul says to the church at Ephesus that God has put everything in subjection under Jesus' feet. Hebrews 1-2 says, In these last days, God has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things. All things is fairly comprehensive. Everything is His. So you're an heir of everything. Okay? You're an heir of everything. John MacArthur says, God the Father wants His Son to be the object of our praise and worship. It glorifies the Father for the Son to be glorified. The Father has transferred the legal right to the universe, including this world, to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is the principal heir of God's vast riches. As heirs with Christ, we now share in the inheritance that becomes Jesus'. So you're an heir of God himself, all his stuff. You're an heir of Jesus and all his stuff. But what about right now? What am I an heir of? You know what you're an heir of right now? The riches of Christ. Right now, you say, what? Now listen. Paul said this in Ephesians 3.8. He says, his ministry is to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable 
riches of Christ. Everything that belongs to Jesus and was a part of Jesus now is mine. Paul says this to Timothy in Titus 3, 4, and 7. Paul, Paul really praises when he says this. He says, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we had done in righteousness, aren't you thankful? Our works can't save us. But according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Christ Jesus our Lord, so that being justified, there's that word we looked at a few weeks ago, by his grace, we would be now made heirs according to the hope of eternal life, which means this. His righteousness has become our righteousness. His holiness has become our holiness. His peace has become our peace. His joy is now our joy. His strength has become our strength. These riches include our being heirs of the world. In Romans 4.13, Paul says this, For the promise to Abraham, or to his descendants, that he would be heir of the world was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Abraham, in his lifetime, God says, I'm going to give you the world. You're an heir of it. You know that all that Abraham had was in a little place where they had his cave, where he was buried. That's all Abraham, he died with that. Very rich man, died with that. But he's an heir of everything. The writer of Hebrews says this, But God has promised a new city whose architect and builder is God. And Abraham, according to Hebrews, says that Abraham was looking for that city. He wasn't looking for this place. He says, I'm an heir of this place, but I'm looking for the heavenly city. And what, what God would say is this, just as Abraham will inherit the new heavens and new earth, so will you because you're a descendant of Abraham and you're heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. The Lord's brother James says this in James 2.5, Listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? You're heirs of the kingdom. Have you ever been looked down upon because you don't have more than somebody else? Listen, this is yours. You're an heir of it all. It's a legal act. All this is yours in Christ Jesus. Everything that belongs to Christ now belongs to us because we are in Christ. We receive part of the inheritance in this lifetime, which is the riches of Christ, but the fullness in the lifetime to come. So we're heirs of God, heirs of Christ, and all believers, number three, are heirs of his suffering. All believers are heirs of his suffering. Notice the verse on the screen. Just going through this verse. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him. Now listen. You've got to understand the context. In Paul's day when he wrote Romans, there was massive persecution going on in the church. And Paul says, you might as well expect it. Peter writes about it. James writes about it. Everyone wrote about it. John was on the Isle of Patmos. Why? Because of persecution. Okay? So even though you may not see that here in Alexander County, thankfully, aren't you thankful you live in America? Aren't you thankful you live here? I mean, aren't you thankful that God has placed us in safe places? And I'm going to share with you, not all safe places are safe now. But what Paul told his readers at that time is, you are going to suffer, there's no way around it. And this utterly destroys the prosperity gospel. That claims if we're suffering, we're suffering because we don't have enough faith. What Paul is saying to these readers and to many Christians today around the world is, you're going to suffer. You're an heir of Jesus. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. Notice what one scholar says, to suffer with him does not mean that we make bad decisions in life. 
and then suffer the consequences of those bad decisions. Rather, this means that we suffer for His namesake, for His reputation, because we believe His truth and speak up to testify about His truth. We suffer because we're identified with the resurrected Christ. We suffer because we believe the gospel, bear witness of the gospel, and testify to the gospel. This may not right now be happening in America, but it is all over the world. Every day, right now, today, eight Christians worldwide are killed, not because somebody broke in their house, not because they got in an argument, but, but, but because they say, I believe in Jesus Christ, and I'm not going to stop talking about it, and they're dead, eight a day. And probably more than that, if you take some countries that don't give stats. Every week around the world, 182 churches or Christian buildings are attacked. Every month, 309 Christians are imprisoned unjustly. Those are the ones they give stats about. North Korea don't give their stats, and China don't give theirs. Shocker. A lot more than that. So Christians all over the world are suffering. The Chinese government is committing unparalleled human rights crimes against Christian citizens and seeking to wipe religious sentiment from its country. Now, in your Bibles, look at verse 18. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. He said that again in another verse. If you'll, turn, if you'll notice on the screen, verse 17. And I'm going to read this whole part, but you notice what he says up here to the church at Corinth. He says, We're hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. And, and listen, when Paul got saved, you know what God told him on his salvation day? You're my chosen instrument for suffering. What a blessing. Anybody want to get out of the ministry after that one? Paul, you're going to suffer because I preordained you to suffer because you're going to share the gospel and people are going to hate you for it. Jesus told his disciples, if the world hated me, they're going to hate you. And then Paul, after many years in the ministry, probably 21 of his 32 years, he says this, We are hard-pressed on every side but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around our, our, in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. Paul says, even though outwardly I'm getting crushed, on the inside, I'm just growing and growing and growing. And then he says in verse 17, notice how he puts this. This is a guy with great faith. He says, For our light and momentary troubles or affliction are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. And that's what we're going to talk about in the next point. So we fix our eyes on what is seen, not, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. The only part of this I want you to look at is just look at these words. Light and momentary. Troubles. Paul says, my troubles are light and momentary. Okay? I want to read you his troubles. And 2 Corinthians 11, 23-28, Paul gives his list. He says, in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, he's talking about his sufferings up to this point, in prisons more frequently, in deaths often from the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. That's a beating, public beating. Not only is it embarrassing, but they say when they would beat you down, you could barely walk. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. That time he was stoned, they thought he probably died. Three times I was shipwrecked. At night, a night and a day I've been in the deep. In journeys often in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, 
in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst and fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily is my deep concern for all the churches. You know what he's saying? I've been beat down, robbed, beat up. Then he says, I've got to deal with the churches. <laughs> Paul said, and Paul would tell you this. One person put it this way. And he had a list of all, all the Bible verses that talk about Paul's sufferings. It's unbelievable. This list that I just read you was the first 21 years of his ministry. He had 11 more to go. Isn't that crazy? And you know what Paul would say? Listen, when Paul wrote the book of Philippians, he was chained in prison to a Roman soldier for two years. And they call it the book of joy. And Paul said this, For to you believers, now listen, every word in the Bible matters. It has been granted, granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Now, we're talking about heirs of suffering. When Paul writes the church at Philippi, chained to a Roman soldier, he says, It has been granted that you suffer. That word means this. It means to give or grant graciously and generously with the implication of goodwill on the part of the giver. He says, it's a blessing to suffer for God. Man, the mindset of the early Christians is amazing. He says, it's going to happen. Peter said this. He says, for this is a gracious thing when mindful of God. One endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a, same word, gracious thing in the sight of God. Now listen to this point. I don't know if it will happen in your lifetime in America. But to anybody on the planet today, I would say this. The path of suffering in the Christian life was foreordained before time began. Well, the prosperity gospel don't sound too good now, does it? Because you can't find it in the Bible. Paul writes to, to the church at Thessalonica, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions. He said, I want you to understand, don't be so upset that you're being afflicted, for you yourselves know that we've been destined or predestined for this. We've been predestined, well, you're heirs of it. And then Paul told Timothy, he said this, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Why? Because you're heirs of suffering. But even still, God works out all things in the believer's life, even suffering for good and for the advancement of the gospel. That's why the Lord's brother said this, who was martyred for his faith, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. So how could a believer, who we know we're heirs of God, heirs of Christ, but when you have heirs of suffering, that's just a tough one. A lot of bad things happen to good people. Well, you've been preordained to suffer. You just have. But how does God... You know, Paul called it light and momentary because of the glory that is to come. And see, the final point is this. We're heirs of glory notice the verse on the screen and we'll finish this verse out and if children then heirs heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ if indeed we suffer with him that we may also be glorified together this is the doctrine of glorification where you're you're finally glorified body glorified mind no sin you're glorified some of the glory will be experienced as, as, as follows. It's, it's to come a heavenly home, John 14, a glorified body, 1 Corinthians 15, a perfected spirit, Romans 8, eternal reward, Revelation 4, endless rain, Revelation 22, full access, Revelation 3, 12, white garments, Revelation 3, 5, hidden manna, Revelation 2, permanent relationship with God, Revelation 3, and Revelation 21, 
And then a beatific vision of who the Lord is. Notice this verse on the screen. To look upon the face of God will be the ultimate blessing of all blessings. You have to be in a glorified state to see God. You can't see Him now. If somebody says, God came in my room and He looked this way and He spoke to me, no, He didn't. He didn't. He didn't do it. Don't buy their book. Don't listen to their sermons because they're lying. You know how? No one could look at the glory of God. Moses could only see a veiled portion of the glory of God. When Ezekiel saw, this is John MacArthur quoting, when Ezekiel saw just a portion of the glory of God, he went into a semi-coma. The same thing happened to Isaiah, and he pronounced a curse on himself. Remember Isaiah? Woe is me, woe is me. God, punish me. I'm unworthy to be in your sight. He saw a vision of the Lord. High and lifted up, just a vision. The same thing happened to the apostle Paul when the glorified Christ showed up on the road to Damascus. He went blind and fell into the dirt. The same thing happened to John in the first chapter of Revelation. He was traumatized near death because he had a vision of the glory of Christ. It is a glory upon which an unperfected person, and you're not fully perfect now because you're living in the flesh, cannot look. But the promise of God is that he is gathering together a redeemed humanity who will be holy and blameless in such measure, in such perfection, that they can actually stand before him in his presence. This is the plan. Why? Because you're heirs of glory. Because you'll be glorified to the point that you can stand in his presence. Notice the word see up there. Very important. How John on the Isle of Patmos wrote this word see. In the Greek it means this. The word see in this clause is a future indicative. Which in Greek grammar points to a real future experience for every believer. No if, buts, or maybes. Aren't you thankful how, how crystal clear God is? The word see in the Greek which is used both of physical and spiritual or mental vision. Both are involved here. For the first time, man in the eternal city and in eternal state will have an absolute and undiminished perspective of God, both physically and spiritually. So seeing his face stands first for being face-to-face -face with the Lord in his very presence. It means having perfect fellowship and clear understanding. Now think about that. You're heirs of God himself, but the only way you can be in his presence is to be heirs of his glory. What an amazing thought. Keep this in mind. Your, your future or eternal life is glorious and meaningful, and God wanted you to live today with that perspective in mind. I said this last week. No matter how painful life is, is for you now, it's not forever. No matter how difficult your disability is, it's not forever. No matter how fresh your sorrow is, it is not forever. Aren't you thankful? Because you're heirs of God. You're heirs of Christ, you're heirs of suffering, and you can handle that because you're heirs of glory. When I first came to East Hillsville Baptist Church, the first week, I made the mistake of answering the phone. And I've shared this with some of you before. And there was a lady, I'd heard her voice before on WTLK or B86 or whatever that station is. And I remember her, and I would just kind of laugh because she was an older lady. Her voice was unique. I didn't know she was a member of East Hills of Baptist Church and was a shut-in. So I answered the phone, and this was Evelyn Dagenhart. You remember her, don't you, Steve? And I said, hello. She says, are you the new guy or the new boy? I said, yeah, I'm the new boy. And we talked for two hours. Two o'clock is when I answered the phone. God is my witness. Four o'clock, I said, Evelyn, i got to go. She says, wow, you're not doing nothing. <laughs> I said, all right. And I found out she was on our shut-in list. Mark could tell you, when you'd go visit Evelyn, I don't want to disrespect her. She, she was by herself, broke hips. It was just different when you went in there. It was not the cleanest place in the world. And, you know, Evelyn had her problems. And, and Evelyn's got cancer. And, and Evelyn would sing you a song whether you wanted to hear it or not because she was very good at the piano. 
But just to describe where she lived was just, it was just different. You know, felt, felt sorry for her. I remember I had a, my wife had a Dodge Ranger then. I had an old 93 Honda Accord, which she loved. And she had to go to the doctor. I said, well, I'll take you. And I pulled up in the Dodge Durango. And she walked up there and said, I ain't riding that. <laughs> so I had to take my car to Wittenberg, get that car, and come back and take Ellen to, to, to the hospital visit. But we do that from time to time, right? And I remember the doctor, the last time I went, said, the next time you come, we have a very important conversation to have with you. So I said, I'm going to take her, you know, because this is not going to be good, because we all knew it wasn't going to be good. And I remember... When I was in that room, I asked the doctor, I said, can I stay in here with her? And he, he goes, yeah, you can stay in here with her. And they just told her. And Evelyn didn't say a word. And I remember saying, can I say something? She said, yeah. I said, Evelyn, do you understand what he's saying? And she just said, yeah, like that. Didn't say a word. Just whistling along. I was pushing her in a wheelchair, put her in the old Honda Accord, straight drive. We're driving back. And I said, Evelyn, you doing all right? She said, let's talk about heaven. I said, okay. So we talked about heaven. That's all we talked about. And I said, you know one of the joys of heaven is going to be able, it's going to be to see his face, Evelyn. We're actually going to see him. Sung about him. Witnessed about him. I said, and she said, isn't that going to be good? I said, it's going to be so good. And I said, I said, death is scary, but death's not the end. And I remember when Evelyn died, we did her funeral, because nobody, nobody knew Evelyn but this church much. Did it at the funeral home, and I remember saying this. Craig and I did it at the time. I was associate pastor. And at that time, I said, Bill Gates today is worth, and I read all that, all the, that time, I don't know what it was. And I said, if Bill Gates dies today, he admits he's lost. And I said, Evelyn Dagenhart, who has absolutely nothing in this world, is far richer than Bill Gates ever has been. Because she's an heir of God, heir of Christ, she was certainly an heir of suffering, but she's an heir of glory. Why shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own soul? Rich people, you don't impress me. I'm the richest person in Alexander County because I know Jesus. You don't impress me at all. All right? Aren't you thankful that you're a son or daughter of God? Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you, Lord, for your grace and for your mercy. Father, if there's anyone in this auditorium today who has never placed their faith in the resurrected Christ, even now, Lord, saved. Lord, we can't even be saved unless the Holy Spirit convicts us and draws us. Holy Spirit, do your work. If there's anyone at home, Lord, anyone in their car listening, Father, please save them for your glory. And Lord, for all the children of God, Lord, there, there may be people in here, they're not suffering for Jesus' sake, but they're suffering. They're suffering. Lord, please give us this perspective that one day, one day it's all going to be over and we're going to be with you and all the things, all the stuff doesn't matter, but we're going to see your face Father, what a privilege it is to be a child of God Lord, it's such a privilege to me that I want to share this good news with everybody I meet Father, we love you today we thank you for your grace and for your mercy most of all, we thank you for Jesus thank you for our salvation in Jesus' name I pray and all of God's people say together Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here. Here's how we're going to dismiss today. We're going to start on this side. So if you guys will leave first, you can make your way out, and then I'll dismiss the rest of our group.